At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I'm talking with Catherine Spires, a food journalist who has gone from writing and editing at places like Gawker and LA Weekly to launching the Table Cakes Podcast Network, where she also hosts and produces the food history podcast, Smart Mouth. In each episode, Catherine talks to all sorts of interesting people, including genius favorites like Jacques Papin and Andrea Nguyen, about the little-known stories behind their favorite dishes as a way of finding out what makes them tick. Here is Catherine to share with us a bit about her journey in media and some of her all-time favorite genius cooking tips. I am a food editor traditionally. Right now I don't totally know what I do or what I am. I co-own a media company uh, and I host a food history podcast uh, called Smart Mouth. And I also have a food history newsletter. How did you find yourself wanting to move from food journalism to this multimedia maven track you're on? Well, I don't know if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. It's what happened. Mm -hmm. So I graduated from college in 2004 and I knew that I wanted to be a journalist at least half the places that I have worked for no longer exist, at least. So I actually have a, a friend who's, I guess, in the same similar boat, who's like kind of a former journalist in the traditional sense, but he did a podcast too that's similar to mine in that it requires a ton of research. And so I approached him like, what if we sort of combined forces? So that's what we did. We formed this podcast first media company. Mm -hmm. And then I started the Smart Mouth newsletter, which is, you know, contributors writing about food history. And then I'm also going to, I'm almost positive, I'm going to start another newsletter that's more straightforward Los Angeles restaurant reviews and almost like micro reviews, just because there's a little bit of a hole in the market for restaurant reviews in LA, given what a big town it is and what a food focused town it is. I'm going to get back out there maybe. Let's see what happens. <laughs> uh, when you said you're not really like sure what that means or what exactly you're doing, it sounds like you're, I mean, you know, you know exactly what you're doing. In your way, you're creating the food journalism world that you want. That's a really, really... Nice thing to hear. And that's sweet of you to put it that way. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you Aww. for doing it. It's <laughs> very inspiring. Can you tell us any um, about any genius cooking ideas that you come across lately that have either changed the way you cook at home or that you're like really itching to try at home yourself? Maybe that you picked up from your research or from a favorite LA restaurant or interviewing your smart mouth guests? Honestly, top of mind, three things occur to me. <laughs> and 
two of them are about baking. Actually, they're all about baking, but one is controversial, I think, maybe. The non-controversial one is, I believe, in adding as much dairy as the dough can handle when you are making quick bread or scones. Mm. You know how I feel like it's like the stereotype of scones that they're really dry Mm -hmm. and people maybe don't like them as much. I feel like you just like you follow the recipe. But if you've got like some yogurt or some like sour cream sitting in your fridge, add it in. Do it. Mm. And your scones are going to be so much better than even most of like store-bought ones for sure. Wow. So do you mean um, by as much as the dough can handle, do you mean just kind of like as long as it can still hold a shape that it's supposed to hold? Yeah, exactly. As long as it like kind of looks like how it's supposed to look, like keep adding it in. Because I discovered this, like I was scared the first time I did it, but I was like, I have this like half a cup of sour cream left over. And I don't think I'm going to eat it. I'm just going to throw it into the scone recipe and see what happens. And they were like the best scones anyone's ever eaten. Wow. (laughs) So that's one. That's one tip. And then so the controversial thing, at least I think it is, every pie crust I've ever made. And for some reason, I'm good at making pie crust. I don't like I don't know how I came by it. I didn't study it or anything. I'm just good at it. I've always added so much more water to the pie crust than Hmm. seems reasonable and definitely more than the recipe calls for always Mm -hmm. and i think that's another thing too where you just kind of have to like feel it and be like okay well this isn't i haven't added so much water that it's actually all liquid now but it's just like it makes it better i suppose less dry again but that's like people you know have a hard time with pie crust and i would just say oh just add more ice water go for it go nuts with the water (laughs) Yeah, why would you want to struggle with dough that is kind of breaking apart and tough? I feel like pie crust is one of those things that people like think is really hard. And it's because they're punishing themselves and not putting enough water. (laughs) (laughs) I, I always wonder how people get those beautiful rounds of dough that are rolled out perfectly thin and then like have no raggedy edges. You know what I mean? Like when you... Right. (laughs) I don't think naturally they have to... Are you talking about like in photos? Because they had to have trimmed it. That's they had to. Have. I'm talking about like if I see a demo on Instagram or something and the person is just like lifting this beautiful, perfect circle, like no spare flower around, no bits falling off. I understand like why that seems aspirational. But at the same time, I feel like baking is super fun when like you've gotten flour everywhere. And I know that that means that like you have to clean it up. But like when you've got flour on yourself and stuff. That's fun. I -hmm. like it. Make a mess. (laughs) Yeah. And when the flower has gone from like your neck down to like halfway down your jeans. Yes. Yeah. That's when you know you've done, you've baked something good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also, in terms of recipes that I want to try, 25 years ago, I went to a dude ranch in Arizona with my family called White Stallion. Mm. And they served these potato chip cookies. Kind of just like Mm. sugar cookies, but with potato chips mixed into them. And I remember, I feel like that was one of my like culinary awakenings. I was like, what? You put salty and sweet? You know, I was 14. This was brand new information to me. Um, And then, you know, a few years ago, I heard someone say that they had like invented putting salty, savory things in cookies, sweet cookies. Mm. And I was like, well, that can't be right. (laughs) That's not a thing that I don't think anyone invented. Um. And so for whatever reason, it wasn't until last month that I actually emailed this ranch in Arizona and I was like, hey, your potato chip cookie recipe, where did that come from? And 
It was from a recipe in the 80s uh, from this magazine called Work Workbox Magazine, mm. which is a magazine for like the textile and sewing enthusiast. But they had a potato chip cookie recipe in one time, like I think in the late 80s. And that's where it came from. I love finding out stuff like that. And now I really want to make potato chip cookies. I'm actually curious what your favorite dish is. If you were interviewing yourself on Smart Mouth, what would you right. pick? God, I'd be so mad at myself because the first thing I think of is mashed potatoes, which is really? like you can't base a whole history episode around mashed potatoes, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> mashed potatoes have always been, as far as I can remember, like one of my favorite foods. And it's one of those things like mom's spaghetti sauce, like the way my mom makes it um, is like the right way. And she always did it very simply. It was just milk and butter. But again, like I was born in 1982, so growing up it was like 2% milk. Now as an, an adult with agency, I put whole milk in them um, because we're not afraid of fat anymore. <laughs> and I do them really simply. I don't even like garlic mashed potatoes. I mean, whatever. Of course, I like garlic mashed potatoes, but those are not the proper mashed potatoes. Mm. I always cover mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving, which I do with friends mm. every year. And I'm always worried that they think they're too plain. But then honestly, if you just add... Here I am again with just advocating for adding more dairy to everything. You just like as much as the potato can handle, like keep. And again, sour cream is such a good stealth mm -hmm. uh, dairy product as well. Um, one time my grandma made them on Thanksgiving with olive oil as the fat. Hmm. And I felt like that was the worst Thanksgiving of my life. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. I'm never coming back here. <laughs> So again, with the food memories, it like just has to be a certain way for mm -hmm. some dishes. Do any examples come to mind where a guest magically picked a really a dish with a really great story? Yeah, I would say that um, sushi has a really interesting story because the way it came about was like about fermenting and the rice. And it was like the point at which it switched over from being like, yuck, throw this fermented fish away to being like, hey, <laughs> raw fish. <laughs> it's really interesting. Things like ramen and how it sort of switched from like China to Japan and its its course through East Asia. Um, and then sometimes you get something like um, mayonnaise, mm -hmm. which has, uh, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to say mayonnaise and sexy in the same sentence, but where Do mayonnaise it. came from, <laughs> It came from the kitchen staff of this, oh gosh, I'm forgetting exactly who he was, but sort of this deposed royalty who was partying in the 1700s in the Mediterranean and um, was known for his naked parties. And then his kitchen came up with like this new sauce and it was mayonnaise. That episode was amazing because it was, my guest was a very funny comedian and his reactions to finding out this totally hot story of mayonnaise was just so, so funny. <laughs> The vast majority of them don't know the history of their favorite food. Like, why would they? That's not a thing people generally know. But when they accidentally pick something that has a great story behind it, it's a delight. It's, it's wonderful. It's perfect. <laughs> hey, it's Kristen. If you are enjoying this chat with Catherine as much as I did, head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit subscribe so you don't miss out on other stories like this one. And like our recent conversation with Joshua David Stein about how chicken nuggets can be an act of love, both for your kids and for yourself. 
In the second half of this episode, we will get to hear more from Catherine on the mayo brand that she would want at her naked mayo party, the regionality of Girl Scout cookies, and the scorn that people feel for the QR code menu. Meet you back here for that. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beat in cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great in clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beat in cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great in clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. People do have such um, such intense opinions about which mayonnaise is which store bought mayonnaise is the mayonnaise that they, I guess that they would have at a naked party or, or you know. yeah. Um. <laughs> well, if you have a naked party now, you got to go Hellman's for sure. <laughs> Unless you're a Duke's person or a Cupie person. Well, yeah, but they're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this is how people fight about mayonnaise. You're right. Yeah. It's like so intense, and I feel like as someone who's lived on the West Coast my whole life, I it's best foods right yeah. isn't that what we have that's like i feel like that's what we have i feel like if you go to an expensive grocery store you can find dukes but i wasn't yeah. aware until relatively recently of the mayonnaise fight yeah and i think and i could be wrong i haven't done a side-by-side comparison because they're usually not in the same place at the same time but i think best foods and hellman's are the same thing that's my understanding as well yeah okay thinking about Girl Scout cookies and how they're made in different factories around the Uh country. Mm. And so um, uh, maybe Thin Mints are always the same, but like, uh, what do they call them? Samoa? Mm -hmm. The weird thing is sometimes they're still called Samoas and sometimes they're called like Caramel Delights or something. Yes, Caramel Delights, right. But they still do both. They do both. Yeah, and I think that it's partly a naming issue, but partly the bakery that they Uh use. Like apparently if you buy... Two of the same kind of cookies in in on the West Coast and on the East Coast, or even like Northern California and Southern California, like they might be different, even though ostensibly they're using the same recipe. Wow. Yeah. So it's a good thing that you buy Girl Scout cookies locally, usually, because then <laughs> you won't know what you're missing. Right. Buy local. <laughs> <laughs> Until you you move and you're like, wait, what the heck? What are these? Yeah. These caramel delights are my, not my caramel delights. These are not mine. <laughs> uh, I wonder if that explains, like, in each different place I've lived. Uh, so I was a Girl Scout for a really long time, so I was very, like, intimate with the, the Girl Scout cookie selling process for many years. Um, and then at, when I buy them, you know, out of nostalgia as an adult and, like, to support local uh, Girl Scout troops, I see new varieties and I just keep assuming like, oh, that's the this new thing that they came up with for everywhere. You know, they're introducing this brand new amazing thing, but it might be that they're introducing different cookies in different areas. That might be as well. Yeah, I know that some aren't available in all areas. There mm-hmm. is like a slightly different lineup regionally. Actually, the reason I have Girl Scout cookies on the mind is because they just announced a new flavor. Mm. 
Um, and it's sort of, it's like, it's almost kind of like a brownie bite with a caramel ribbon through it, if I'm remembering correctly. It was mm. funny because I put a link to that in my newsletter and it was like one sentence, there's a new Girl Scout cookie. And it's the most clicked on thing I've ever included in my newsletter ever. Wow. Which is one of those like, oh, okay, everybody, I work really hard at this. <laughs> But I get it. Girl Scout cookies are like a national obsession. You have written about um, kind of how the pandemic is is changing and will hypothetically change how we eat and shop. I'm wondering where you are now in thinking about that, both for you personally and things that you're seeing in the world. Uh, it's so hard because I thought, you know, as with everybody, like we thought we were coming out of it this summer and now it's back. And I feel like some people have been like, okay, whatever. I'm just eating crackers from now on. I'm ordering my crackers from Amazon and that's like, I'm over it. I'm done. In terms of going out to restaurants, I actually did a poll about this on all of mm -hmm. my social media and in my newsletter asking people if they preferred like QR code menus you know, when you like mm -hmm. you do it, you look on your phone to see what the menu is or actual physical menus. Overwhelmingly, people preferred physical menus. Hmm. Yeah, I was surprised it, it wasn't universal, but it was almost universal how people wanted to like hold a piece of paper in their hands. Did you have any kind of like write in opportunity for people to explain why they hated QR codes? Yeah. And it was kind of one of those intangible I just like it. God, we keep like hitting on this point. I feel like in this discussion, people just like what they like. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, we want to be able to see it. Um, also, you know, even if you're doing the system where you read the menu and then a server comes and takes your order, even then when you're reading the menu on your phone, it seems like I feel like people are less inclined to like ask questions about the menu using that. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, God. And the kind where you just read the menu and order on your phone and a server only brings you food i think that system is horrible you can't ask questions you can't like custom order right. um plus people these restaurants obviously need workers because anytime you pass by any restaurant area and you almost every single restaurant door has help wanted signs mm -hmm. so i kind of feel like even if you're doing the qr code thing you still need employees so you might as well have employees doing everything that they did before like have a server be a server mm-hmm I think restaurants are going to kind of go back to normal in that sense. That sounds comforting. Oh, good. I hope I'm right yeah. then. <laughs> so bring back the paper menus, the like, I don't know, diner menus that are splattered with ketchup, all of it. Yeah. I mean, we love that. We love that. Thanks for listening. Our show is put together by Coral Lee, Amy Schuster, and Emily Hanhan. If you have a genius recipe, or if you happen to know whether there is any difference whatsoever between Hellman's and Best Foods, and also how the heck you could tell the difference since they're always Clark Kenting and Supermanning on us, I would always love to hear from you at geniusatfood52.com. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes and the Food 52 Podcast Network, and you want to help us keep making it better and better, the very best thing that you can do to support us is to take a moment to leave us a rating or review or even just subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you so much. Talk to you next week. <laughs>